even when I go to real estate conferences now, you know, I used to be one in 10, right? One female to every 10 males. And I'd say we've grown that to three or four uh, for females Mm -hmm. uh, to every 10 males, which is, you know, you see the growth, you're seeing it in the industry as a whole, right? But I still think that it's, almost job specific, right? Sure. And transactions is still, I think, you know, uh, probably behind in, in the grand scheme of things, but we're working to, to improve that. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the US market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. G'day, g'day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the US podcast from Los Angeles. I'm your host, Reid Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. Now, I'm glad that you've all tuned in to learn from my incredible guests, and each and every one of them are the cream of the crop here in the United States when it comes to real estate investing, business investing, and entrepreneurship. Each show, I try and tease out their incredible stories of how they have successfully created their businesses here in the US, how they've created financial freedom, massive amounts of cash flow and ultimately create extraordinary lives for themselves and their families. Life by design, as I like to say. Hopefully, these guests will inspire all of my cracking listeners, which are you guys, to get off the couch and go and take massive amounts of action. If these guys can do it, so can you. Now, as you know, I'm all about sharing the knowledge with my loyal listeners, which is you guys, and there's absolutely no BS on this show, just straight into the nuts and bolts. Now, if you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give us a review on iTunes, and you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter by searching at Reed Goosens. You can find the show wherever you podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play, but you can also find these episodes up on my YouTube channel. So head over to reedgoosens.com, click on the video link, and it will take you to the video recordings of these podcasts where you can see my ugly mug, but the beautiful faces of my guests each and every week. All right, enough out of me. Let's get cracking and into today's show. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Ashley Kabil. Ashley is a CFO of Hamilton Zants, a real estate investment firm with a portfolio of over $4.3 billion. That's right, a B, B with a billion with a B that specializes in multifamily investments across the United States. The company is one of the nation's largest privately held multifamily syndication company with over 20,000 apartment units under management. Ashley started her career as an intern in a very much male dominated world of real estate investing over 10 years ago. She's a public certified accountant, a CFO, expert in 1031 exchange, tax exchange program. And Ashley is passionate about championing young women in the business, particularly in industries where women are underrepresented. I'm really pumped and excited to have her on the show today with, with me to share her, her incredible experience and her insight. But enough of me, let's get her out here. G'day, Ashley. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. My excited pleasure. My pleasure. Well, I really enjoyed uh, the little the intro there and having uh, female entrepreneurs on the show. I know I've, ta- I've talked to a handful of them over my time of doing this podcast. And as we said a little bit in the green room, it is a very much male dominated industry. And we'll, I'd love to get into that and how you've, you know, part mate created your path in, in this, in this, in this industry. But before we do, can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? 
Yeah. So it was probably uh, going to my dad's office in San Francisco. He was an accountant and then started doing real estate investing and doing odds and ends office tasks. So whether that be filing, making copies, shredding, um, just having a small glimpse uh, into what it's like to work in an office. I'd say that's how I made my first dollar. So granted, it did come from my dad, but I was still working for it. So. And um, did I hear he, you said he was also in the taxation field? Yeah, so he was, uh, he started his career with the IRS and then he went into public accounting um, and then he went into private practice and then he kind of ended his career doing his own real estate investment investment and having his own family portfolio that he managed. So awesome. Awesome. very similar path, I'd yeah, say. Very similar path. path. Yeah. yeah, very similar path. So then bring us forward, walk us through the journey and and vulnerability is always best on this show. People love that sort of stuff. Um, <laughs> how have you gone to create your path in, in, yeah. in very much a male dominated world? Um, as I, as I mentioned in the intro. Yeah. So like you said, I started at Hamilton's Zance as an intern in 2010. Uh, and I started the job not knowing a thing about real estate. Didn't know what a cap rate was. Couldn't, couldn't tell you anything about real estate. Um, I did understand a balance sheet and an income statement from being a CPA and going back to school and, and all that stuff. And um, I went back to grad school during the Great Recession, not knowing what I wanted to do. I grew up in Silicon Valley. I thought I was going to go work in private equity or venture capital and do something exciting like that. Um, and while I was looking for my internship, my dad said, why don't you try real estate? Uh, just take a summer, learn about it. Your family's invested in it. It'd be good for you to understand real estate. And I was like, no, I don't want to do real estate. Um, but I went in and I met with Kurt, who's our CIO and one of the principals and, you know, thought, why not? I get to stay in San Francisco for the summer and learn about real estate. And obviously something stuck. Right. And um, when I started Hamilton's Ants, it was a lot smaller than it is now. There was only about 20 employees. Uh, we got to wear a lot of hats and, you know, through my first two and a half months there. Uh, I loved it. Uh, real estate is tangible. It's real. You can see it, you can touch it. Um, and so it all clicked for me and I stayed on through my second year of grad school, graduated early and then started my full-time job. And I just, I put my head down and I, I, wanted to learn as much as I could, as fast as I could. Um, I took every opportunity I could to, to figure out what HC was doing and to understand the structure of our deals, um, asked a lot of questions and I wasn't afraid to ask the questions and, and raise my hand. And, and it's tough. It's intimidating sometimes in those rooms to, to ask a question, right. And you're afraid it's a dumb question or you're afraid someone's going to judge you for it. But I think there's, you know, something inside majority of the people who work in real estate that they want to teach. Right. And so if you're willing to listen um, and kind of watch and observe how things are working, I think you can learn a lot. Uh, the first office that I worked in within Hamilton and Zance, I mean, majority of our office space is kind of open space. Right. So a lot of us are sitting in a room together um, and I was sitting in a room with Kurt Howe Cooper, our CIO, and three other of us that just started and just listening to him on the phone calls, talk to brokers or talk to lenders. You pay pick up so much stuff. So I think the willingness to, to ask the questions and, and truly listen, um, I think is really important. And there were times where, you know, I felt the, the feels of being a female in the room. And I wouldn't say necessarily at Hamilton's Zance, but, you know, outside of our company, I would feel it. But, you know, I think you just, you just almost not kill them with kindness, but, you know, just say, Hey, I'm trying to learn and uh, trying to understand. And I have some questions for you if you have time for me. Um, and you just, you know, 
you prove yourself as, as you continue to work hard and, and demonstrate your skills. That's awesome. That's an incredible story and something that is, you know, really, I don't know if it's not heard of. Uh, I'm, I'm a millennial. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to say to my age, but I feel like a lot of younger people jump around jobs trying to figure themselves out. Did you have, was that jump from your CPA world? Was that jumping around and you just landed, you just got lucky and you landed in a place that you really, really loved and obviously absorbed as much as you could? Yeah. So, uh, so I started out of college at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So big audit firm. Um, I started in the banking industry and what I learned there is one, I didn't want to be in public accounting, even though it's great and you, you get a great base, but I really liked the teaming, um, at PwC. So even though it's a large company, you're on smaller, you know, more focused teams, you get to know your managers, your senior managers, your partners. And I knew that about myself that I liked kind of that smaller environment where you really get to know people and, you know, form a team. And so when I started at Hamilton and Zance, it was, I mean, to be honest, it was my second job ever, really, truly um, going from PwC to school to Hamilton and Zance. So I don't know what it's like to jump around. <laughs> right. Um, but I know what it's like within Hamilton Zance to jump around different departments and, and work with different. But I think um, for me, it was really important to, to work in a place that ultimately became like my family. Right. Like I've gotten married and had kids and all of that stuff. I got to share with the people that I work with at Hamilton and Zance. And I think we, the, the thing about the company is that we truly care about each other, but we also care about our investors and our investments and our residents, right? And there's, um, there's something there that, that keeps me, um, at Hamilton and Zance and keeps me happy. And, um, there's continuous learning too, which I think, I think a lot of times people jump around because they may get stagnant, right. And, and they're stuck in that position. And I completely get that because if, if I wasn't continuing to learn and there wasn't exciting stuff to work on, you know, I probably, probably would have made some changes, but every real estate deal is different, right? You can say, Oh, this one's going to be a plain vanilla deal, but you know what? They never turn out to be that way. And, and when you close that deal and put a bow around it, it's probably one of the best feelings. So. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's, it's <laughs> addictive, right? Yeah, <laughs> it is. Addictive. It is. Tell me about the growth. Like you, you, you said you, I think you entered uh, Hamilton's Zans at 2010. So you were intern. What, where were they at that stage and how have has your progression with in your career into now becoming the CFO, which of a 20,000 unit portfolio, $4.3 billion under management, like that's huge. How have you, how's the company grown? And then for parallel, how did you grow to, to take to that position? Because it is a very, very uh, influential position in an organization which has so much assets under management. Yeah, so uh, when I started the company, there were, 20 people working all for the same motivation of investing our friends and family's capital in value-add real estate. And so I think at the time I've joined, there was probably 7,000 units under management, again, coming out of the Great Recession. So they had a couple of years that were slow buying years, right? They weren't, weren't buying a ton of deals. And then 2010, 11 started to pick up and our, our acquisition pipeline picked up. And so we also when I'd say 2013, 14, 15 kind of came along, we were also repositioning our portfolio. So we had kind of figured out, we had grown, we had gotten scale, kind of understood what type of property worked best for us. What were those metrics? You know, we throw around 200 plus units is best for us, right? Just giving us that size property is better for us. We operate that better. We like $1,000 uh, in EGI per unit, right? We like 1980s or newer. So 
piecing together those facts kind of helped us reposition our portfolio, right? So selling smaller properties that were maybe older, that were just not producing the cash flow that we were looking for, the returns that we were looking for. So there was growth and ramping up of just buying properties in general, and then also repositioning our portfolio to kind of bigger and better. I mean, we had a lot of debt maturity that was coming due. And, you know, we did a lot of buying in 2005, 2006, 2007, before everything kind of seized up so that we use a lot of 10-year debt. So we had a big wall of, of debt maturity staring at us in the face that we had to reposition our assets, buy newer stuff, you know, close on our 1031 exchanges, a lot, a lot of our structures, 1031 exchanges. So that's kind of our growth pattern. And at the same time, we were working with institutional partners and buying one-off deals and just growing our platform and increasing our recurring revenue through asset management fees. That was a big deal for us is, is the more units under management, the more recurring fees we have, and, and we can continue to grow. Paralleling my career growth on that path, so started as an intern. When I took my full-time job, I was working in transactions, asset management, and a little bit of the finance um, department, just helping with some of the corporate books. Um, as we grew, we kind of had to make the decision of what, what do you want to be? Like, where, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You can't do all of this stuff, but I'd say doing all of that stuff um, taught me a lot, right? I understood the asset management side of it. I understood our corporate side of it. Um, and obviously I, I went to transactions because I love it and I was passionate about it. And there's just something about doing deals that, you know, lit a fire in me. So I spent, you know, eight or nine years just solely focusing on transactions, whether it be acquisitions, refinances, um, transactions or dispositions. And then in 2019, uh, when our previous CFO left, you know, it, it kind of fit um, and it was an exciting opportunity. And I think goes back to the theme of continuing to learn. Uh, it was a hard decision, though. It was uh, it was tough. It was an internal conflict um, because I love the transactions. I love the relationships I built, you know, with lenders and brokers out in the market and, and other sellers and buyers like meeting people across the table when you're buying and selling a deal is is always nice to, to meet those people and continue to do transactions with them in the future. So a lot of internal conflict. Um, you know, in, in making that decision, but but ultimately I did it. Uh, I took the job, but I, I kept a piece of transactions with the closing group with me, uh, so we can see the closings. But um, yeah, that was that was kind of my path, and so it's, it's been it's been a fun journey. And and growing from seven thousand units to twenty thousand units, how has how, how's the company changed? Because you talk about culture early on and being in there and rolling your sleeves up and everyone's getting dirty, the hands dirty, you, you're sort of wearing different hats and that's, you know, how we are in our company and we're only four or five people, you know, we're, we're a lot smaller yeah. than you guys, but um, how does that transition to then being, you know, cause you never want to get the fear of being pigeonholed, right? Like you mm -hmm. are now just this, right. And that's mm -hmm. all you do. You're just the cog in this piece of this yeah. huge machine. So how, how did that, how does that keep evolving when you get to 20,000 units and, 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 you know, over $4 billion in, in assets? Yeah, so there's definitely now, you know, much more defined departments, right? We have an asset management team and we have an investor relations team. But I think the way that we keep that kind of grinding, you know, in the details is that, you know, we're still pretty small relative. We're just under or just around 50 employees. Uh, we all know each other really well. We have family meetings when we're not in this COVID environment where we're all together talking about stuff. I think the water cooler talk is 
is uh, really important at Hamilton and Zance. You find out a lot about what's going on in terms of deals, right? And we're an open book. If you're in accounting and you want to know what's going on in transactions, come to the transaction meeting, right? And everything in a real estate company like ours, everything plays off of each other, right? You're not working in a silo. The investor relations group is selling the equity and the deal that the acquisition group is buying. And the asset management group is help determining the business plan along with the construction management group. So there's a lot of interplay within the office, you know, figuring out how to get the deal done because there's so many pieces that you need to put together. So it's a lot of collaborative work. Um, we like to travel together. We like to go see the real estate together. And I think, you know, also if, if you're interested, ask, and we're not going to say, no, you're in IR, you can't, you know, go on an acquisition due diligence trip because that's hindering your growth, right? I feel like it makes you a better investor relations person. If you see the real estate and you understand what we're buying. And I think seeing the properties and understanding how it all fits together is a big part of, of real estate and understanding and being successful at whatever kind of career you have in real estate. 100%. I can completely agree. And I think having that, you know, coming from that lens on my side of the fence where it's, you know, me and two other partners and we're doing everything right. Like it's yeah. just, you know, and our investors, like we want to come see the property. All right. Well, who's going to go see, who's going to go walk it with them. Right. And, and, and then trying to, I'm doing the construction management and the asset management. And so just trying to do everything together, but then as you grow, keeping that I don't want to say grassroots, but a feel that you can have access to everything. And you need to, because as you just mentioned, the culture within HZ will be that you then everyone understands each each piece and each function and helps their individual skill set grow, whether it be attracting capital or debt or asset management or construction management, it all understand, you understand the bigger picture. And I think so many people, you know, we talked about ceilings before and jumping around, they don't ever get that look into where are we going? Where's this ship sailing to? And if you never have those conversations with even people who are lower down the totem pole, they just don't feel like they're, it's worthy, right? Like, they're, they're yeah. not, you know, so I think having that culture of openness and, hey, you want to become and get on site, let's go because you, it needs to be from a growth point of view. Tell me a little bit about how the, the, the acquisition strategy has changed over the years now that you've grown so quickly. You, I, I love what you said before, the EGI of $1,000. I remember when I first went to Texas and started buying assets and, and class C assets, right? Like 650, 700 was the average rent. Now it's 1200, you know, it's, it's grown. So what are you guys doing and where are you buying? And, and I know you're across the country. So, so what, what are you like right now? We like value add returns. I'd say say that, um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily in the value add space. Sometimes we're finding value add returns in, in, in the core plus space, uh, new construction, or we see management as kind of, you know, we think we can do it better in terms of management, right? Sure. So wherever we can find those value add returns, we're kind of chasing. Um, so, you know, and and if you put metrics around it. Uh, you know, we like 30 years or newer, right? I know I said 1980s, but ultimately we would love it if, if the asset's no older than 30. There's always exceptions to the rule, right? So, but I had to put something around it. 1980s or 1990s or newer, 200 plus units, um, good EGI, infill location. Um, so kind of all those things that everyone's looking for, right? We know how competitive it is right now. There's so much money in the market. Doesn't feel like there's a lot of supply. Um, so where we've seen, you know, a lot of our success in the past couple of years is 
quasi off-market transactions, right? So we have really good relationships with sellers out there and brokers and, you know, say a deal falls out of contract, you know, maybe we'll get the first next look because um, we're going to close on the deal. Uh, so we're, we're chasing yields. Uh, we've moved out east. We've moved to the Midwest. Um, once we land in a spot, we like to grow our portfolio within that spot. You know, 2,000 to 3,000 units is kind of that sweet spot, uh, especially with, you know, our partners started a management company back in 2012, right? So to have the economies of scale in that market is really helpful. Owning one asset somewhere is, is not as efficient for us as our asset managers are traveling and regional managers and whatnot. But yeah, we just, we love real estate. We love projects. We have a construction management team that'll come in and, and you know, establish a business plan for us and help us improve the property. Um, and so we're, we're, we're all over the place right now. Um, I wish I could say we're focused on one market, but, but we're kind of, kind of everywhere at this point. What markets are you in? Just do a higher level. Yeah. So, uh, so when Hamilton Zans first started, uh, we were primarily West coast, everything we're based in California, but we own no multifamily in California. So starting up top, we have Washington, Oregon, Phoenix, Texas, Nevada, uh, Idaho. That was kind of our initial base at first. 2016, we made a jump to the Eastern seaboard uh, and we purchased a portfolio of properties in 2016 out there. And so that was kind of our first jump to the Eastern seaboard. And then we kind of traveled up. So we are in Virginia, um, Connecticut. We just, you know, grew a portfolio or purchased properties in Nashville, Tennessee. Now we're in Kansas, we're in St. Louis. Um, so kind of all over, we're not in Florida yet. We're looking at Florida, but we haven't, haven't made the jump there, but it's kind of like a little smile, uh, <laughs> if you had to, to, to do the United States, but, uh, so we are in, let's see, 15 States and 27 wow. MSs. That's incredible. And that's, that's, that's a, Take your hat off. It's sort of we all aspire to be that one day. Well, maybe we. Yeah, don't. it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been a lot of work um, and challenging, but it's been it's been really fun. You meet so many great people along the way, um, and people who who champion you know Hamilton's ants to continue to grow their portfolio. And now, as we transition into you know, you've seen it from the the, the coal face, right? You've been in early in, in, in the stage of, of after the recession. You could see you're in the in the trenches with Hamilton's dance when they're buying straight after 2008, 2009, where, where do you think these prices are going? Like how much more can cap rates compress in these, some of these secondary tertiary markets? Because obviously you, you have a lot more data. I'm just in Texas, right? I'm in two markets in Texas, but what are you seeing nationwide? And, and like, is it just the rent growth story? You have to believe in that and that's all you can believe in. Or do you think cap rates will continue to compress even further? I think uh, I think there's a couple of things at play. One, financing is is really inexpensive right sure. now, right? And as long as that is keeping up with that cap rate compression, which it is right now, people are going to continue to buy. I think also we're at a really good spot in terms of people need homes, right? And the construction pipeline and supply has not kept up, you know, during these past years of apartment growth. So that is why you are seeing, you know, such a compression on cap rates. And I feel you're going to continue to see that because the demand for housing is continuing to grow. Um, and our delivery of housing um, has not kept up with that. Got it. And do you ever see very strong? Do you ever see a swing back? If if you know, say say financing, SHIT's the bed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you start to you start to get interest rates that expanding, and obviously cap rates are a function of that. Do you see it going back the other way, or you know, back in the day, you probably what you're buying things at six, seven, eight caps 
back in back 2012. In yeah. uh, I was going to say, now where are you finding those? Can you get no, 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 back in the day. It's like, that's where back it's coming from. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yes, yes. Um, I, I, I see it changing, but at the same time, I think in the multifamily market, um, you're buying an established stream of income, right? Like there is, there are rents coming in and there is money. It's developed. It's there. It's not, there's no risk. It's, there's no development risk. There's, there's nothing. You're buying Verbal a stream risk. of income. It's proven, right? So I think no matter, even if, if interest rates go up, you're still going to have a pent up demand for multifamily. So yes, cap rates may go up slightly, but I don't see the days of six, seven cap rates coming back anytime it, soon. It, is that because of historically real estate's been an alternative asset and have you seen a lot more bigger players, you know, the Wall Street's types coming into this space? Yep. Does that have anything to do with it? For sure. You see, I, I feel we see new players every day, right? If we, if you asked me six years ago, if I knew the the types of groups that would be bidding on our assets that we were buy, that we were selling or how many groups we're competing with on the buy side, I could probably name most of the groups that we would see, right? Now there's just new groups every time that we're meeting and there's just so much money. I think, um, especially multifamily, which has been the sweetheart for many years. I know, you know, industrial is probably taking that over a little bit right now, but it's a really stable asset flow for an alternative investment and the tax benefits for investing in real estate as people continue to learn about them, which I think, I think they are, I think people are getting more educated at the benefits of investing in real estate. You're still going to continue to see very strong equity flow into this asset class. And I think, you know, with my international tinge, I also know that cap rates here in the United States on commercial assets are still a lot more attractive. Like even an yeah. office building in you know New York City at a, a three cap is probably more attractive than an office building in Hong Kong, right? You know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So you're having a lot of international money flooding into the country as well. And I think I think the you know we have the backstop of Fannie and Freddie, right? Who mm. truly believe in affordable housing, and they're going to do you know everything in their power to continue the supply of affordable housing to the American people. Hundred percent. Yeah. Okay. I want to transition as we come to the end of the show into your passion, which is helping to grow uh, female empowering females in an in an industry that is not as dominated by by female entrepreneurs. So, what are you doing in Hamilton Zants with other young interns that were in your shoes many many years ago? How are you empowering them to to be more, to speak up, to take control, and and to have a say in their career and how they you know being that is so male dominated. Yeah, so we uh, a couple of years ago, we started uh, what's called the wheel program. So many large companies have it, but we we brought it to Hamilton and Zance. Um, it was spearheaded by, you know, Kurt and kind of the managing directors scene. You know, since we all kind of went through it at Hamilton and Zance, where we were spending time in all of these departments and we saw the benefit of that, we thought, why not bring that program, you know, officially to Hamilton and Zance? So excuse me, we started the wheel program. Um, and, you know, we've dedicated one position a year to a female candidate to make sure that we're bringing in females to Hamilton and Zance to teach them all the facets of real estate, right? Not, not pigeon them, pigeonholing them in marketing, right? Or IR or what you would traditionally see as a female role in a real estate asset management or investment company, right? So they start off in acquisitions, learning how to underwrite, learning the pro forma, asking those questions. They move into asset management and working on, you know, establishing the business plan and executing. Um, and then onto finance, right? To understand Yardi and how taxes are being done for our investors. And then they get a little, a little taste of legal 
legal, uh, which is a little bit harder because you know you probably need a law degree. But just to understand how you know everything is pulled together in a transaction, right? There's securities issues. There's you know figuring out our our take agreement. So all of those things and just understanding the full picture. And then at the end, you know, we come together and we say, hey, where where did you feel the most? you know, excitement. What are you, do you, or do you want to go off and, and fly to another company and, and focus there? Right. It's, um, but we want to give them the opportunity to, to learn as much as they can in a year long period, because I think it's daunting to come into a real estate firm sometimes. And I think a lot of graduates are probably like, I don't know necessarily what I <laughs> yeah. want to do. Right. And I, we want to give them the opportunity to figure it out for themselves and be able to ask all those questions to every department, um, that, that, that they can and learn. And so, you know, we had our first candidate go through and she had, you know, she's working with me in the closing group, right. And working on transactions and, you know, doing that stuff and COVID kind of put us back a year, but we're, we're bringing it back right now and interviewing candidates to, to continue the program. But, and that's one thing we're doing. I'd say the other stuff is just the young females. We just want to encourage them to, to ask the questions, right? An open door and don't feel intimidated if you want to learn. And if you want to, if you're in investor relations and you want to learn about transactions, do it, right? Like you're talking to our investors, you're at the front line. What can we do to help you learn that stuff? So so that's really important um, for us and how, how we're trying to foster this, this area of growth. How are you seeing in terms of the percentage of candidates coming to your on your desk? What what percentage are females, and and how have you seen it transition, if it, if at all, since yeah. you started? So I would say it's it's probably by job right now, right? So I'd say in transactions, it's probably a lower percentage um, of candidates. Um, I'd say in IR and marketing, um, even finance, it's probably about equal. Okay. Um, asset management is probably about equal too. Transactions is still probably a little more male dominated, but that's- And have you not- seen that transition in the last 10 years since you've been with Hamilton's Dance? Like, like what rewind when you were an intern? You wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been 50-50 on the uh, investor relations or the, the acquisition. Front. It's transition. No, no, no. It's grown to that percentage through the years. Right. I mean, even, even when I go to real estate conferences now, you know, I used to be one in 10, right. One yep. female to every 10 males. And I'd say we've grown that to three or four uh, for females mm-hmm. uh, to every 10 males, which is, you know, you see the growth, you're seeing it in the industry as a whole. Right. But I still think that it's, almost job specific, right? Sure. And transactions is still, I think, you know, uh, probably behind in, in the grand scheme of things, but we're working to, to improve that. Well, I think it helps having a, a definitely self-aware leadership group that knows what it needs to provide in terms of, you talk about, you, I think you said wheel earlier yeah. uh, about the different, letting them taste a little bit of all the different aspects of the business to support a culture of asking the question of being supported and not being judged and all that sort of stuff. And I think that starts from the top and you can't have that organization change or industry change without leaders like yourself doing, doing the small stuff, right. And and making it effective because you won't then attract the grads. You won't then attract people to go into university saying, Hey, I want a career in uh, real estate finance or real estate acquisitions because they don't see people like yourself leading the charge and flying that flag. So I think, uh, so, so well done and and good on Hamilton's ants for, uh, for, for leading the way, I guess, in in a, in a, in a male dominated industry. I will say they, um, I've never felt, felt like a female in a real estate market and or job at Hamilton and Zance, right? I think they've treated, they've always treated me the same. And the best advice that that Kurt 
you know, I say this all the time that Kurt ever told me was if you're interested, walk into the room. Right. And I'm going to say the same thing to the people coming through our program. It doesn't matter your experience or who you are. If you're interested, walk into the room and ask the question. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, last question before we get into the top five investing tips is where's Hamilton Zance headed to where are you headed to in the next five to 10 years? And maybe it's too far out, <laughs> uh, but what, what's sort of your personal goals and, and, and you know, obviously it probably aligns with Hamilton Zance, but where, where are you, where are you going? Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, we're continuing to buy, right? We're continuing. We want to deliver for our investments, uh, our investors, excuse me. Uh, so growing not only only our private platform, but but institutional DST. Uh, we are looking to launch our first fund, which which we haven't wow. done at Hamilton Zance yet. Interesting. So that's a big goal for us this year. Um, so those those are big goals and a lot of work uh, for us to continue along the way. But I think ultimately our principals are entrepreneurs. Uh, they want to buy more real estate and we're trying to figure out the best way to do that um, for our investors. Love it. Absolutely love it. And very interesting that you haven't actually, after all these years of operations, you've never had a fund. That's- Not a true fund. Yeah. We've done small private funds just to give some of our investors diversification, but sure. Majority of it is 1031 exchanges and, and tenancy and common structures. So this will be our first first true venture into a big, big fund. Awesome stuff. Well, look, as we come to the end of every show, we like to go into the top five investing tips. Ready to get into it? Okay. Uh, what is, it was for question number one, what is the number one daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Uh, I work out every day that gives me a little mental balance um and then i also try and spend time with my kids so that's yeah work-life balance is work-life balance yeah yeah love it love it question number two who's the most influential person in your career uh i'm gonna give two people i'm gonna say my dad uh and kurt Cooper. Awesome. That's nice. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Mm-hmm. Question number three, in the business, in, in maybe your day-to-day business, what is the most influential tool? And when I say tool, it could be a phone or a journal or something physical, or it could be software like Zoom or Slack. What's the most influential tool? Uh, my trusty notepad. Uh, <laughs> all my notes. Uh, so uh, I try and write everything down so I don't forget yeah. something or, you know, um, that's most important to me. Even even on this show, I'm writing little things down so I can see the the act of writing and then crossing it out. It's like a little reward. I I love it. Um, Question number four, what has been the biggest, I say the word failure. I don't don't mean as as a failure, but a mistake that you've made in your career. What did you learn from that mistake or failure? Yeah, I think the biggest mistake is, you know, not speaking up almost, right? So not, not saying and it, it hasn't happened often, but I know after I leave a conversation, if I didn't say what I wanted to say and get my point across, I always feel a tinge of regret and I may circle mm-hmm. back and I may do it, but that I would say those are, those are my biggest missteps. If I have an idea or if I have something to contribute, making sure that, that I get my opportunity to say it. And at the same time, give other people the opportunity to say things and truly listen. So I'd say awesome. that's all you're always working on that. Love it. Love it. And last question for you is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. They want to find out a little bit more about what you do. Where do they go? Yeah. Go to hamiltonzans.com. Uh, you can find me there. You can also find out more about the company, uh, but please email me. Uh, if anyone has any questions, I, I love to meet new people and, and find out what people are doing in the industry. Awesome stuff. Well, look, Ashley, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to jump on this show. I want to just reflect some of the things that I took away from today's show. I think that the, the evolution of your your career trajectory in a male-dominated world has been very, very impressive and how you've come in uh, and, and be able to hopefully help drive the company's culture in a way that is more 
allowing and open for people to particularly females in this industry to, to, to learn and grow and, and the whole, if you're interested in something, walk into the room. I love that attitude. And then having someone in a position of power like yourself, being a CFO of a massive company also helps be the poster child for, for that next person coming along, that next female entrepreneur who wants to get into these sort of roles in an industry. As I said, that is very much male dominated and you can just look on this show. You know, I've, I've only had, interviewed a handful of women on the show. <laughs> not, not that I haven't tried, but it's just that it's just, there's not as many. And so I think, the whole championing of that is really, really awesome. And I just congratulate you for everything you've done. And then also the awesome growth of, of Hamilton's Ants and you've been there every step of the way as they've gone from 7,000 units to 20,000 units. Uh, did I leave anything out? No, that was great. This was fun. Thank you so much for having me. My Appreciate pleasure. It. My pleasure. Nice to meet we'll, you. Yeah, lovely to meet you too. We'll have to keep in touch, but uh, yeah. enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. Take care. Thank you. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible stuff from Ashley. If you are interested in anything they're doing over there at Hamilton's Ants, please go over to hamiltonsants.com. If you do like this show, the easiest way to give back is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, go give life a crack.